and welcome to Court Games, a Legend of the Five Rings podcast for the Legend of the Five Rings community, funded by the Legend of the Five Rings Discord Patreon. This podcast will focus on the role-playing game, stories and lore, and novels for Legend of the Five Rings. And novels, yep. I'm Kova. And I'm Kakita Kaori. And we have some yeah. new stories. We do. Uh, one of them being quite long and is a novel, well, novella. <laughs> if, if we must be pedantic about these things, and apparently I must. <laughs> but we will begin with Bloody Harvest, which is written by Josiah Duke Harrist. He's a new and, author. Oh, time. okay. New, new to L5R. Um, new to L5R. He hasn't written I, any of our stories so far. Yeah, I assume, given that it was quite good, not new to writing entirely. <laughs> I, I, I'm, not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not heard him before. But so we start off with Utaku Kamoko, and she is fighting the lion. They are ambushed in a village, and after a certain amount of violence, um, when she is in fact cleaning up and saying it's okay, everything's fine, the horrible lion invaders have been dealt with. Uh, she's attacked by a twelve-year-old lion girl who she offers the the chance to surrender to this to this child. And, you know, if you swear loyalty to the unicorn, you will be spared. But the girl refuses, and Kamako offers her a death in battle. Meanwhile, she is flashing back to her past when she was approximately this old, because that's the way stories work, mm-hmm. when her mother had been killed in battle by a lion samurai who brought back her mother's armor and daisho. Certainly, certainly. Mm-hmm. And it was flashing back between these things and obviously being a bit of a parallel. Now, it is, I'm, there's a, there's a question here is, I don't know whether or not she actually killed the girl. Yeah, they certainly implied she did. And the other thing I don't know is whether for sure it was a hymen girl or a samurai mm. and, so... and, and like, what what's she doing and what's she doing there? Because I, I honestly don't know if the commoners, the non-samurai, swear allegiance to a clan in the same way that mm-hmm. samurai do because mostly mm-hmm. it's just like we we live in this village mate we look, look we, we farm this farm and that's us and it's like sometimes the lions say we're in charge and sometimes unicorns say we are in charge and we just farm mate that's what we do whereas right. sam the samurai all swear allegiance to someone who mm-hmm then swears allegiance to someone and then someone and eventually I swear allegiance to the clan champion and thus we are all unicorn. Right. Yeah. So there's the interesting parallel because literally the way the novel is written she she raises her hand she raises her, her sword mm-hmm. and then we flash back to her in the exact same situation with the lion samurai when she's a kid and he mm-hmm. spares her. So that could imply that she doesn't because she spares the kid just as she was spared. Or not. It's ambiguous. Or or it means that she wishes mm. that in that moment, back when she was 12, she had yeah. been allowed to die. Yes. So I think this is one of those things where, where your English teacher would love to have a discussion about, <laughs> uh, you know, interpreting the text. and So that's very interesting. Was, was that bit, was that final flashback a parallel or a contrast? And that's really kind of interesting. Right. So. I... I thought I thought that she killed the the mm. child, and I thought it was because she had wished, on some deep level, that the lion samurai had killed her rather than left her alive. Yeah. Um, at the time, that that's what she would have wanted. She would have wanted to be treated 
as a samurai and respected in that fashion. Well, actually, the I mean, I would say that the it's also a, it's actually a good. I think this is quite a good example of the courtesy Bushido tenant because here is this lion guy literally coming to the the, the family of someone he's killed, or we don't know whether it's him personally. Mm-hmm. In old law, uh, there was a specific individual. Matsu Agetoki. Mm-hmm. We don't know whether this is that guy or whether Matsu Agetoki was a guy. I can't remember. He is in in a card in the card game, mm. so he is. Ah, okay. Uh, he he still exists. It is mm. likely he still killed. Uh, right. Kamoko's father or mother, blah. But um, we don't know whether this guy mm. in the story is him or not because they never gave his name. Yeah. So I think I think this is a, a pretty good demonstration of you are the child of my enemy. You are the child of someone I may have actually killed in battle. Mm-hmm. But it's only polite of me to come back and offer you your mother's armor. Right. And that I think is a, an, an interesting demonstration of that. So it's quite a good thing. Yeah. The other thing is that um, the order had been given from above mm. that everybody in the village who does not swear has to be killed. Yeah. So, so even if she had wanted to, that would have been somewhat going against an order. That's true. Which again raises the question: When they say everyone, do they mean the samurai? Everyone, everyone. Like even children and stuff. That's (laughs) that's the question you often have to ask. When they say everyone, do they mean everyone, or do they just mean the samurai? And the samurai might say, "No, we mean everyone," as in the samurai. (laughs) They don't count. Why? Why would we ask them? (laughs) Anyway. So that's that. Yeah. Now. Very atmospheric. Good story. In, oh, if you're interested in learning about more about Utaku Komoko um, from the old lore, back when she was a person in the story, the name her name was Otaku Komoko. So mm-hmm. the unicorn clan Utaku family was first named Otaku in old lore, and then someone yep. realized that meant uh, a nerd in Japanese, and they fixed yep. it. <laughs> yes. And so now it's it's always been Utaku forever, right? Exactly. It's better that way. Yeah, it is. We learn a few bits about, well, we we get some names of horses, which I don't know that we got in old. We always knew her original horse was Hachiman, which was a very Ah, famous name. The God of Um, War. The God of War. So uh, she's not on Hachiman, which I was amused. I was like, okay, they changed it. That's all right. Mm. (laughs) Or, Or maybe she ends up on Hachiman later. This is, Reiko is just who she's with at the minute. Right. But uh, I was interested. They're using so in our conventions in uh, you know in America, mm. and I don't know if it's true in England or not. But uh, we I don't generally... have a horse. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I lived in Kentucky, so we see a lot of horses go by. Uh, the convention for naming horses is not to name them people names very often. It's more often name them uh, object names yeah like or flowers or like silver charm or, or mm. yeah flowers something so object kind of names but yeah, all yeah. of the horses mentioned have real people names mm. like reiko means pre- is a real person name that means pretty child a girl's name yeah and we also get ishi which is stone apparently it's a girl's name norio which is a boy's name and man of principles <laughs> which is interesting this horse yes. is a principled horse. <laughs> I just think it's interesting that they use human names on their horses. So mm. if you have a, a horse to name, you can name it a 
yeah. a person name and I'm sure no one would argue if you chose to name it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I liked the description in the story of the lion samurai all being fur-maned yep. uh, or having blood in their uh, fur. Because uh, in the card art for the lion, they often are shown having a uh, big uh, um, yeah, fur collar. Yeah, yeah. Obviously Either. meaning to, to represent a lion's mane kind of thing. Right. So sometimes people have taken the... Um, Injunction against touching dead flesh. Yeah. Far, very, very literally, very, very oh, completely, I. so that they never wear leather, they never wear fur. If you are yeah. a good, uh, good samurai, but we've always had that in contrast with the lion art, which always had them with these big furry maids. And mm. in Japanese, in Japan, you still had the um, injunction and trouble of wearing. Um, yeah, of dead flesh, not touching dead mm. flesh, but they wore leather just fine. Yeah, they really leather, did. For uh, certainly up in the northern climes, I mean, I've got you know my samurai images folder, and yeah, the the people up in the north were wearing would wear fur. Uh, some of the the very ornate, one of the very high uh, formality robes, you'd wear deerskin shoes. Stuff like that. Or bear skin. Bear skin shoes were our yep. thing. Yeah. So if you want boots. Boots. <laughs> for for what, tromping around in the snow. You don't have to tromp around in the snow when you're tabby. And you can Well, you I can mean, that, that also happened. It, that also happened. You know, <laughs> it I did mean, they happen. didn't tend, Yeah, I mean, I'm. they didn't have Western style boots, but that's more of a fashion thing. <laughs> or like, this is this is how you make shoe, footwear. But yeah, so let's, let's not go too overboard on... They never touch it ever. Right. Yeah. So, um, they had a marmot that made mm. that made me laugh. They have marmots. Um, marmots are actually, yeah, they describe as someone letting loose a marmot among the horses or something and causing mischief that way. And mm. um, so they they are native to Tibet and many many other places in the world. Though there aren't really, I don't think, marmots in Japan, but obviously no, there no. are in Rokugan. Um. Yep, that was um, we're all seeing an ambush by the lion, and some people go, no, the lion would never, they are too honourable, but we all know that all things are honourable in battle, and we also know that lion aren't stupid, so. <laughs> no. I, it's, it's Sorry, it's, it's one of the things you, you common have to, I, I find I common have to say, the Rokugani aren't stupid. So a lot of people say, no, they would never, they're not stupid. Right. So yeah. Um. When at one point they mentioned that she sees a isakaya door hanging off its hinges, so I immediately thought, "Oh, that's a kind of door." It's not. Nope. Well, it is, uh, but it's a door <laughs> of a place rather than a spe- it, specific door type. Kind. Yeah, kind of door. So yeah, isakaya is a bar that serves alcohol and snacks. So it's like yeah. a Spanish tapas bar. So I spent a fun uh, t- bunch of time reading about isakaya. Um, mm. You can go to an isakaya. Um, when you walk in the door, you get handed a nice damp towel to wash yourself off. And then you, they automatically give you this plate of food and a drink. And you are charged for it. But that's your yep. door fee to get in. And then after that, you just can eat as much as you want. And they just charge you for all the things you eat. But yeah. It's, it's it was, a kind of standing yeah. place. Yeah, it's, just, it's one of those kind of yeah, eateries that they have. Uh, prayer wheels that was an interesting mention prayer wheels because 
prayer wheels are mostly actually a Tibetan thing. They're not unknown in Japan. Mm -hmm. And I do have a, a reference to someone finding them. So they're not unknown in Japan, but they're not very... The idea of a, a prayer wheel is it's like a cylinder uh, that on a, on a spindle that's upright. And they've got prayers or mantras written on it. And so, so like one turn of the wheel would be one prayer. And so spinning that wheel is like saying the prayer. That's, mm -hmm. that's, the, that's the intention of it. So you might get a rack of them near a temple, possibly mm -hmm. other places. But that's actually quite a very interesting one. It's mo like I said, it's mostly from Tibet, but they are found in other places because it's a Buddhist thing. Right. So you do find them, and, and thus in Rokugan, it would be a Shinseiist thing. Right. But that's, a, that's an interesting thing. That might be something that the unicorn brought with them from their travels in the outside. It could be. Um, and I, I, when they described it, it sounded like it was just a pinwheel. And so I thought it was mm. interesting that way. Yep. And we have some discussion questions for your discussion group, which I'm sure you all <laughs> have. Uh, not only what do you think actually happened at the end of that little short story, but was Utaku Kamoko justified? If she if she killed the girl, was she justified? Why did she do it? Yeah, yeah. It's hard to, I mean, if she if she killed it, and like I said, mm. I kind of assumed yeah. going into that she did. Um, she had this combination of um, orders, maybe a desire that she had been uh, treated like a warrior when she was yes. twelve. If I, I wish I'd been treated like that. That's an interesting. Um, uh, that's an interesting kind of view on it, which I hadn't thought. Of course, you know we always would recoil at the idea of killing a child. So we would, and interestingly, the lion who brought her mother's armor and dice show back also did, or at least he was saying, "Wait until you're older." Interesting, and so he didn't feel that he should. I mean, I don't. I didn't feel to me like it was a "You are beneath my notice. I'm not going to kill you." sort of thing even when she started to draw on him that he was rather more of a you're not ready yet kind of thing right but it was an interesting story uh mm. it was very hard for me to place in the timeline so i have no idea when it yes. happens in terms of current events in the empire other than somewhere around now yeah because the lion the lion and the unicorn have been squabbling over certain villages and they've been going back and forth so that battle is still ongoing Another thing that we got, we talked about it, uh, of course, in our interview with Marie Brenham, which was awesome. Uh, mm -hmm. And we mentioned that we would talk about it later, uh, our podcast before, was The Eternal Knot by Marie yep. Brennan. Now, normally, I would not want to talk about a novella too much because uh, yep. you don't want to give spoilers and you, it's not like... Um, the short stories, which are accessible for anyone who wants to not be spoiled to go read yep. and they could pause right now and go read it. However, uh, the pine and cherry blossom story, which we will talk about that next is very spoilery for the novel. So, yeah. Uh, basically all the major re revelation from the novel, you can pick up in pine and cherry blossom. That said, go read the novel anyway, because it's lovely. <laughs> Anyway, to give a very general summary, in the novel, a young woman named Kazue goes through her genpuku and gets a strange tattoo of a knot on her head that no one has ever seen before. She spends a long time trying to figure out what it does, 
And when she finds out, it does something fairly awful. Mm. She runs away because she wants to never use that again. That was too terrible. It was too awful. Too awful. And uh, then she finds a circumstance after meeting this woman called Sensei where she uses it just the way it worked correctly. And um, she learns what it does and it benefits the Empire. And then she goes back to the House of High House of Light. So I'm not going to talk any more than that. We'll talk about more spoilers from that when we talk about uh, Pine and Cherry Blossom. But... There were a few lore items, especially regarding the Tagashi, that even if you are not going to read, you should yeah. know. Okay. Um, the first one is that the Tagashi remember all their past lives. Remember their past lives. Yeah, not uh, yeah, not all. That's that's kind of the key. But yes, they <laughs> unlike most people, and I think I don't think anybody else has a link to their past lives. Mm-hmm. In the same way that the Togashi do. The Togashi end up remembering at least some of their past lives in a very direct way. Right. Which is interesting. Um, so if you are a Togashi, that means that you have most likely been a Togashi in a previous life. Mm. And they say, repeat, once a Togashi, always a Togashi. So even if you're born in some other clan or a Hyman or a Ronin or anything else, yep. you will be drawn to the High House of Light to go be a Togashi again. That leads to some interesting thoughts because they die and they get reborn, right? And in, in, in the kind of metaphysics, how you are reborn reflects your previous life, right? So mm-hmm. your, whatever you do in your previous life, in your current life, reflects what your next life. So that could be, lead to some interesting things where someone whose previous life was a... They are born into a samurai family, they go to the Takashi and all that good stuff. Then they die, fine. And then they come back and say they're a born into a merchant family, which is several steps below. I think that might raise some questions. Like, did you do something that let... I mean, this is a rather more direct kind of... Because you talk to someone in a merchant family, you might say, well, clearly in your previous life, you did something bad to knock yourself down a few steps. But the Takashi actually can start saying, yes, I was definitely a samurai <laughs> previously, and now I'm not. That's, that, there's some interesting things there, you know? Oops. It was yeah, a yeah. Mistake. Um, I, I, I also imagine sometimes like this kind of fox turns up and everyone looks, oh, a fox has come. And then someone goes, no, this is one of our Tagashi. <laughs> in a fox, oh. like, not in a fox spirit, an actual fox. He's gone down a lot of levels. We need to find out why. But I, that, that's possibly me being silly. <laughs> they also Moving do on. not, yeah. They also do not, Tagashi do not automatically know how to use their tattoos when they get them uh Mm. tattoos can take many lives to master um some tattoos are made just to be one used once in a monk's entire life they have an example where she talks about a guy who got this mysterious catfish tattoo she couldn't figure out nobody in the whole monastery could figure out what the tattoo did and one day as an old man he you know earthquake starts shaking the high house of light and yeah. looks like it'll knock it down and he stomps his foot and his catfish tattoo activates and stops the earthquake. Boom. Uh, he made it just for that. Well, the interesting thing is he seems sometimes these tattoos aren't just made to be used once in that monk's life. The implication of the eternal lot is that there is a t- at least one tattoo that was only meant to be used once ever. Right. Which is really fascinating. 
like like so, that catfish tattoo might not just be every so often someone needs to stop an earthquake. No, no. This one earthquake needs to be stopped this one time. So we're going to arrange for someone. To, that's really fascinating. Uh, yeah. And of course, catfish are symbolic of earthquakes uh, in mm. Japan. They uh, are believed to be the source of earthquakes because the giant catfish oh. lives under the ground. So, um, <laughs> you know, that's, that's just the link to why it's a catfish yeah. tattoo. So it, it is established that tattoos must be visible and not covered with hair. That's, That's why, why you well, have all these bald, bald monks with no clothes yep. on. I mean, <laughs> uh, monks shave their head anyway, generally, in order to like demonstrate that they are they're leaving their previous life behind. But it could be that Takashi started doing that as a whole separate thing. Interesting. So at one point, Kazue, her tattoo mm. is on her head, and she actually describes the tattoo weakening in power as her hair grows as she stops shaving for a little bit, and then she's like, decides yeah. to shave. So. Um, that is that is kind of cool. So there is a reason why monks by Tagashi run around with no shirts and no pants. Yeah. And that. Well, That's they usually have usually show. they usually have pants on, but like <laughs> it's, it, it's it, crab who have no pants. I forget. That's, no, Hiruma specifically. <laughs> uh, Hida have no shirts, but armor. They just wear straight armor on top of a bear skin, which is not free. And the Hiruma have no pants. That's, that's <laughs> seriously look at the card art. Yeah, it's a thing. <laughs> it's a thing. Yeah. Uh, they have a tra- dragon genpuku in there. Well, this is the Tagashi temp- genpuku, which is not necessarily the same as anybody else's because dragon are weird. Right, that's true. Uh, the Tagashi genpuku has three parts. It has a test of jujitsu, followed by a test of scholarship. And those are both just basically meant to tire you out. Mm. Because then they start doing a meditation where the initiate is goes through and is reminded of goes through their past lives. So that past yep. lives important. And I believe that's, I can't remember if that's as part of that, they get that tattoo or if it's like, oh, now we know which past life you have. We know what tattoo. Then, you, then, you, you, then the it, tattoo is like the culmination of the. Yeah. Really cool and interesting. So, <laughs> uh, one of the locations they mentioned in the high house of light is a scriptorium, which is where the Takashi monks copy texts that they have gotten throughout some dragon lands from other samurai or, or from wherever to make sure they're always legible so that this, this is a very common thing in monasteries actually make mm-hmm. sure the information is available and so you take out all scrolls and go that's about to fade so we're going to we we'll make a copy of that right so um as a punishment for tagashi what did tagashi do who do dishonorable actions we've always talked mm. about um do monks commit seppuku and even more so do Tagashi commit seppuku? Because they're like yep. this weird space between a samurai and a monk. Uh, normally a monk would not commit seppuku. Yep. Uh, a Tagashi who does something dishonorable would not be given seppuku. Um, if they are repentant for what they did, they are given a drink. They call it Kiyomizu that causes them to be spiritually reborn. Um, mm. They have their memories and it makes them feel different. I don't know what else it might do, but they feel different. Don't feel very well when they drink it. Um, But after they've drunk it, they're considered to be spiritually reborn, that they have died and they pick a new name. Wow. Uh, So um, alternatively, if they are not repentant but people but the tagashi think they are somehow redeemable with enough time and lecturing and so on Mm. 
um, they are imprisoned potentially for the rest of their lives. And then they are subject to many attempts from other monks to convince them that they should be repentant. Have you tried not being evil? <laughs> no. Fine. Come back tomorrow. For the very worst of the worst, who seem defiantly unrepentant and they don't think they can ruin, they don't just make them ronin because they would just come back to the monastery again after they die. Yeah. Uh, they have their tattoos burned off. And then they have their karmic link to the Tagashi destroyed before they are sent off. Well, as- see, I, you can, I can see that. Like, that's presumably, from the sound of things, that's got to be the last resort. Because yes. the implication is that, that monk, that whole kind of bloodline is the wrong word. I'm not quite sure what... what is is there a, like a reincarnation line? Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? That reincarnation line would then leave the Tagashi. They don't get that back anymore. Mm-hmm. Which is very interesting which is presumably something they really don't want to happen unless they absolutely must. Now, the final thing is, is that even the tattoo master, the old tattoo master who does the tattoos, does not knows that he is tattooing with Tagashi's blood because it's Tagashi's blood who uh, is fuel for the tattoos. You know, yep. it gives the power to them. But he gets the blood from a bottle, Naramani, in the, uh, in the high house. And as far mm. as Everybody there goes, top to bottom, including the tattoo master. That Nuramani vial just is eternally filled with Tagashi's blood, yeah. no matter how long they keep using it. Yes, which is interesting <laughs> because in old law, and it's still up in the air whether it's true in this iteration, mm-hmm. in old law, Tagashi was still around, plus or minus possible body swapping. Mm-hmm. But in some cases, he was literally physically still just not dead. And so right. that's possibly where they got the blood from. And but, it still could be. He could go mm, for regular donations. and Without telling know, anyone, yeah. Without telling there's, anyone. Or there's some kind of like, you know, it just comes from him, even if he's not there. Or the situation could be entirely different. And we don't have a situation where Togashi himself is still around, mm-hmm. which would also be interesting. So basically, that one of the things that means is no matter how smart your character is, mm. no matter how highly ranked your character is, you are very unlikely to know that who the boss is, even if yep. you're a drunk. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it's a good book. Yep. Uh, I hope we haven't spoiled too much of it. Um, at least nothing worse than Pine and Cherry Blossom does. Yes, because that is set... Uh, about a year after the Eternal, I think. No, I lie horribly. Four years. It takes a year. Takes place a year before the current timeline-ish, and four mm-hmm. years after the end of the Eternal. And basically, what we've got is that Togashi Mitsu has been told to go and find the woman who Kazuya used her tattoo on. It was a lady by the name of Senzai. Uh, go find her for the good of the Empire. I think was essentially what right. he was told, and he finds her. And says, right, I found you. I'm taking you back to the higher house of light because that's what that's what I've been told to do. And then after a bit, he realized, wait, no, the actual words were find her. That's what I was told to do. And obviously, if I was being told that by a daimyo, that always means find and bring back. Right. But this came from the champion and it was, you know, the champion's an odd, an odd fish is the champion. And every so often he goes, prophecy, 
And when he says find her, could literally just mean find her and then do something <laughs> else. And that's what he decides. He, you know, I found her, which is the thing I needed to do. That's me done. But mm-hmm. it, ta- it takes a while for him to get there. Right. So um, this gives away a lot. Um, we know, for example, it's this uh, sensei is the woman that um, Kazue finds and uses her knot on and uh, makes does something that, if not brings her to enlightenment, uh, enlightens her. So that's yep. kind of the big spoiler from uh, or, the... or kicks kicks her up a notch. There's kicks her there's up a few a things. There's a few things that she says that is like I don't think I'm quite there yet. So right. there's that that kind of impression, like like I'm not quite where I need to be, but the impression is the 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 knot tattoo kicked her a a a ways towards that. Right. But I think she's not quite there, which is why she's wandering about and doing stuff. Because she's like, I'm not quite where I need to be. Right. But she knows what it is she needs to do now. She knows who she is. Mm. She says that. So um, there were some lore nuggets in the story. um, There were. And when uh, Mitsu finds her, he finds her in Scorpion Lens. uh, And she is getting the inner bark of the pine trees and stripping the inner bark off to use as food for the local hymen who are going hungry. Um, in case you were interested, yes, you can eat the inner bark of pine trees and it yeah. is a f- emergency food source. Uh, and uh, you can boil it or you fry it like potato chips. So that's what you, and now that's you know. Really so if you ever in a snowbound uh forest in the middle of winter yeah. you you will survive because now you know how to or, how or to if do that it. pine tree just looks particularly delicious you know <laughs> how to do it. uh the three great sins are mentioned fear desire and regret admittedly mostly fear and regret because it's kind of right. like mitsu saying i fear i'm doing something wrong wait that's a great sin but if i get this wrong i'll regret it and i know which one's worse <laughs> <laughs> which i thought was very interesting i thought there was an interesting kind of Philosophy. I mean, this is this is from Mitch's point of view. So he's, uh, it's quite interesting to get an insight into how he thinks. Um, he asks at one point, um, or Sensei asks, who's the most miserable per- person you have ever met? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Mitsu says, well, there's this minor crane courtier in Hayakamura um, who is a very miserable person because she's such a screw up, scared of her future lives that she she just can't live up to the expectations that have been placed on her. So mm. Hayakumura, Hayakumura is in fact a location that has been featured before. It's I think in the Atlas. Uh, it's got a new name now, but it was a village in uh, southern Cranelands. Uh, it's always under threat by the crab, and it's so far away from the capital and any place even moderately important that it is the place where courtiers who have failed are threatened to be sent to. So if you are a major screw-up and you yep. you flunked your courtiering, um, you get threatened or sent to Hayakamura. So they only just had to say she's a minor courtier in Hayakamura for you to say, oh gosh, she did something. Oh dear, that's gone wrong. <laughs> Yeah, she, no yeah. wonder she's miserable. Um, it's named yeah. for Daidoji Hayaku, who is Doji's youngest son and became the founder of the Daidoji House. Mm-hmm. Um, they also mention uh, a very happy peasant from Kogamura, but that's a... Uh, yeah, I, I honestly, maybe this is my... The notion that the most wretched person in Rokugan is a courtier. Uh, 
<laughs> well, I'm just saying that's what Mitsu thought. Now, Maybe, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Who knows? Who knows what what um, circles Mitsu has has. I, I mean, given given Mitsu talks to all sorts of people, I'm, I'm a bit mind. But maybe there's a philosophical thing there's maybe. Well, after some of the recent fiction, I'm beginning to think that Kikita Yoshi might be one of the most wretched people I, in Rogu. Yeah. <laughs> after his very ha- bad day. On his very bad a, day. Not a happy bunny at all. <laughs> now, we've had some discussion about uh, Senzai. And is Senzai more than she appears to be? She seems very enlightened. Mm. She seems very observant about human nature in particular. Uh, She knows, for example, that one of the scorpion in the uh, patrol they pass by is going to kill his uh, servant, not because... Not because she has any foreseeing the future or anything like that, but she realized that he is going to be a very, he is a very angry man who's very yeah. severe in his punishments, and his servant had done something maybe that uh, would earn a punishment, and she just knew that he was going to kill him. Yeah, my my joke was, is Senzai a long lost Kitsuki? But uh, the Kitsuki method is not transmitted genetically, as far as I'm aware. No, it's something something you're taught. Yeah, and and the Kitsuki have that link to enlightenment just for being part of the dragon. But she she has this on a very um, powerful, intuitive uh, level. Uh, It is a point in the novel that she can't, she was basically driven out because she was so observant. And she's she's very, very close to enlightenment. So the question is. Is Sensei this woman Shinsei? Because, yes, because, all right, basically you have a knot. We said that there were uh, tattoos, and mm-hmm. the knot tattoo brings some sort of uh, enlightenment. But why would you have a tattoo for one purpose ever and put it on someone now just to enlighten a Hyman woman? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean admit it, it's still not quite normal Hyman woman. But so obviously she's somewhat remarkable, but then this tattoo hits and she becomes more remarkable, so it seems. Yeah, what is that for? And is, is this on the same level as the catfish tattoo, who was just there to stop a particular earthquake that would have destroyed the High House of Light? And you think of how important that would be. Mm-hmm. Is this Eternal Knot tattoo that important? And that would imply that Sensei, with this one use, is that important the other link i was thinking because because if senzai is shinsei or the reincarnation of uh one of the things of one of the the perfect land fictions uh seeds before the wind the mm-hmm. one the one where they the the lead not well not the leader but one of the the spiritual leaders of the movement the founder yes yeah he suddenly starts saying if you if you pray hard enough, Shinsei will come back. Right. If you look at the is, timing, yeah, he's saying that right around the time she shows up, that the, the the whole knot thing happens. So yeah, and the, the interesting thing is when I because I believe I noted this at the time, Perfect Land sect is clearly based on Pure Land Buddhism, which is mm-hmm. if you say this prayer with enough faith, enough times, you will be reborn in the Western Paradise which will be a much easier place to gain actual enlightenment from, right? So Perfect mm-hmm. Land has that same thing. And then mm-hmm. suddenly there's this guy saying, 
Shinsei will come back, whereas the perfect, the pure land, the real world one, doesn't have anything about Buddha literally reincarnating, reincarnating or literally coming back. So that was a new thing, and I, I mentioned that at the time. I wonder if he wasn't onto something. Mm-hmm. So, That's interesting. Yeah, so there is there is plenty of space for thinking that this woman might be Shinsei. And mm. um, one of the concepts that you get from Buddhism is the idea of a, a bodhisattva. Mm. And a bodhisattva is a person who achieved enlightenment and so therefore should be out of the wheel of re- reincarnation and off yep. into uh, heaven. Nirvana. 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 Yep. But out of their great compassion for humankind, they return and have themselves reborn or otherwise uh, come back to guide yeah. humanity towards enlightenment or do some other great task. Uh, like Kwanin, there are, you know, there are Kwanin, the, not, the, not the character one, but the, No. <laughs> but the Bodhisattva Kwanin, yeah. who is a, a, a female um, Bodhisattva. Uh, yeah, yeah. Of, of compassion so you know there's there's a bunch of them but that is uh something from Buddha. so basically what they're implying here is that shinsei may be a bodhisattva yeah of some sort and has been in born in this incarnation and potentially senzai potentially. and we'll have to find out more it'll be because in the old law there was a Essentially, an heir to Shinsei, who was the hooded Ronin, right? But that was he was he was a literal descendant of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here we're saying years. we don't have to have it be a yeah. literal descendant. And you couple that with the story of um, how Tagashi remember their last lives and are always come back yeah. as Tagashi. And and between the two of them, you're you're talking about a different formation of Sensei, but I like this. Yeah, yeah, there's 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 some interesting things going on that, that point to some interesting things going on in the metaphysical aspects of Rokugan. Uh, I wanted to do a call out to other podcasts. Um, the Last Province has a ridiculously long four-hour episode about Ooh, the Dragon Clan is... as well. So if you want to learn more <laughs> about the Dragon Clan and sample characters and stuff, you can go listen to the Last Province podcast. You don't have to listen to it in one go. You are allowed to take it in steps. You might need to. You know, need bathroom to. breaks regularly and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and we also have our sister podcast, which is the LCG Court Games, has a new host, uh, Tsar Angus, and has lots to tell you about the new card packs coming out, as well as the formats for the LCG for next year. Yes, we, uh, we are now no longer our parallel uh, Crane and Dragon. Uh, however... Uh, uh, yeah, and and Britain Americans. So between yeah, mm. we're, we're no longer parallel to each other. We must venture our own ways. Yeah. Um, but uh, Sar has done his first uh, podcast, and he is actually uh, that goes around to a lot of places yeah. and does tournament yeah. judging. So he's got lots of interesting things to say. And those who are interested in the LCG should definitely check him. But that's it for us this week. Uh, this is Kikita Kaori. May the fortunes favor you. And I'm Gorgor. Until next, we meet again. Jade Handy. Bye.